Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. We're so glad you are here. I'm going to start off by confessing something to you guys, okay? Like all of you, I have made some pretty dumb decisions in my life. There are things that I look back on in my past, and I think to myself, why in the world did I do that? Uh, There was the time when I was 20 years old that I accidentally amputated three toes off my left foot. That really happened, and I'm going to be telling you that story in just a few weeks. Yeah. There was the time when I was a teenager and I thought to myself, I don't need to pay that traffic ticket. What's the worst that's going to happen? That was a bad idea. There was the time that I was three years old and I got up real early before mom and dad woke up. And I thought it would be a good idea to get into my stepmom's nail polish and paint our family dog a very pretty shade of pink, you guys. I mean, that dog looked good after I got done. I have made a lot of dumb decisions in my life, things that I regret. I'm sure you've got those moments too. My hope is that this morning is not going to be another story of a dumb decision that I made, okay? And the reason that I say that is because this morning, on Mother's Day of all days, we are on the fourth week of our Ideal Family series, And we're going to be talking about parenting, about being a godly, biblical, healthy, life-giving, and loving parent. Now, the reason that I'm afraid this might end up being a dumb decision is that for those of you guys who don't know me, I don't have kids, you guys. It's a groans, I know. You're like, are you kidding me? Are you serious? I don't have any children of my own. So what in the world makes me think that I could teach you who have kids, multiple kids, grown kids, young kids, difficult kids, perfect kids, what in the world makes me think that I could possibly teach you anything about parenting? The truth is I'm approaching this morning with a little bit of trepidation, okay? I want to stay real humble in this, and I want to tell you up front that I am not an expert in parenting, okay? I wish I were, but I'm not. And anybody who doesn't have kids and tells you they're an expert in parenting, guess what? As soon as they have kids, they realize they're no longer an expert in parenting. I've seen that play out enough times on my own. But I'm not as clueless as you might think when it comes to kids, okay? Before we started Connect Church, I was actually in youth ministry for 16 years. So I worked with middle school, high school, and college-age students for over a decade and a half. And during that time, I worked with hundreds of teenagers and their families. So I dealt with younger siblings, and I got to see all sorts of different parenting styles and family situations and things like that. So although I don't have children of my own, I do have a breadth of experience because I've been exposed to so many different families, more than the average person, most likely. You, no doubt, are an expert on parenting your kids. I get that. I'm not going to try to tell you the best ways to parent your kids. I'm not going to give you a parenting plan this morning. We're not going to do any of that because you know best what is good for your family and your particular situation. You have a depth of experience that I just can't possibly touch. But I'm hoping that some of the things that I've seen, both in the scripture and in the families that I've been able to minister to over the last 16 or so years, will help me to help you become the parent that you've always wanted to be. And here's the other side of things. I'm not sure if you've ever really thought about this, but I don't know that you want somebody to teach you how to parent solely from their experience. I'm not sure you actually want that because I want you to think about it like this. 
if I have a, a different I don't know, situation at home with my kids, although I have kids, if it's drastically different from your situation, then the questions that I'm going to be answering or or asking are different from the ones that you're going to be asking. And the details and the difficulties that I've got to work my way through are going to be different from yours. So for example, if I have very young kids and you have much older kids, you're going to be dealing with different things than I am. And so how am I going to tell you about dealing with teenagers when all I've ever dealt with are toddlers? If you have one kid and I've got five kids, then I'm not going to be able to speak to you about having an only child and making sure that they're well socialized and all of those different things because we're at totally different stages. If I have kids that are a little developmentally behind the curve and you have kids that are you know, typical uh, with the rest of their peers, then you're going to have different issues and questions than I do. And so I think that it's probably not even the best thing in the world for a pastor or any teacher to get up and to teach solely out of their experience when it comes to parenting. Instead of doing that, I want to share with you some biblical principles this morning, some things that transcend culture, some things that go above and beyond particular family situations, so that whether your kids are old or young, whether you have a whole big clutch of kids in your house or you only have one, whether you've dealt with loss in your family, or things have been smooth sailing since your first one came along. No matter where you find yourself, my hope is the things that we talk about from the scripture this morning are going to help you to become the parent that you've always wanted to be. Okay, because I didn't know anything about parenting personally, like from my own experience, the the, the fruit of my loins, so to speak, I didn't have any of that knowledge like you guys do. I have spent the last eight weeks or so talking to every parent I can about their family and about what it's like to be a parent. And sometimes they knew I was interviewing them. I was asking very specific and pointed questions. And some of you guys I was having conversations with and you didn't even know it, but I was taking notes mentally. And as soon as I said goodbye to you, I went and typed out an Evernote in my phone so that I would remember some of the things that you've told me. And I've gotten the chance over the last few weeks to talk to many of you who are in such different life stages, young kids, older kids, um, you know, delayed kids, typical kids, um, happy kids, difficult children. It doesn't matter. It runs the gamut. Stay-at-home moms, working moms. I've gotten to talk to so many of you guys about your situation. You know what I found interesting? Whether the parents that I've talked to are really wealthy or they're barely scraping by, whether they have one kid or eight kids. Yeah, I talked to a family that had eight kids. No matter the situation, it seemed like every parent seem to be asking the same question. They may not have worded it exactly this way, but every parent gave me some form of this fear or question that was in the back of their mind. Let me show it to you and let's see if you can relate. Parents I talked to said, I have no idea if I'm actually doing a good job raising my kids. I would like to think that I'm doing a good job. I mean, I put effort into it. I'm definitely better than that lady at my job. She's a terrible mom. I am way better than her. But when I compare myself to other people and in certain aspects of parenting, I know I don't quite measure up 
to them. And then it's like, I don't know totally what the standard is. You know, there's no ideal standard for parenting. It's very dependent on each child and particular circumstances. And so I don't know how to grade myself that way. And then there's the issue that you don't often know whether you're being a good parent until many, many years into the future, right? You don't know if what you're doing with your toddlers today is going to pay off and produce happy, healthy, well-adjusted, spiritually-minded Christ followers until many, many years into the future. And so in the middle of the day-to-day parenting, it is very, very difficult to know if you are raising your kids in a way that will eventually pay off in their lives. I had moms who basically said to me, I don't know if I'm parenting too much or too little. I just don't know where I fall on that spectrum. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm a helicopter mom or a chipmunk mom, you know, I just, chipmunk mom is not a thing. I made that up, right? On the one end, you got helicopter and tiger moms. On this, on this end, you know, you've got chipmunk moms. And I don't know where I fall on that spectrum. I'm just not sure how to rate myself. I, I don't know if I'm teaching them the things that really matter. You know, I, I'm trying, but I'm not sure if I'm covering everything. I don't know if I'm teaching it in a way that they're going to understand. I'm just having difficulty with that. I, I'm worried about whether or not the choices that I'm making today Today are going to impact their ability to grow up happy and healthy and well-adjusted in the future. I had a lot of parents say to me, you know, I want to teach my kids about faith and I'm not sure where the line is. I'm not sure when I'm being too pushy about it or when I'm not being pushy enough. I'm not sure if my approach to instilling faith in my kids, I'm not sure if that's going to backfire at some point. I'm, I'm kind of worried about that. I had parents who said, I don't know if they're going to live out the values that I've taught them. Maybe I'll teach them to be a generous, kind, loving sort of person, and they're going to grow up to be a jerk. I'm real worried about that. I had a mom say, I'm worried my kid might grow up to be a jerk. There are so many questions that surround parenting, mostly because we don't have a scorecard. We don't have a way to say, okay, this is how I evaluate what's happening in my home on a regular basis. Now, if you can relate to that question, if you can uh, say, yeah, I've had those sorts of fears, those sorts of anxieties about my kids in the past, if you've ever thought those things, I have good news for you. The scripture actually addresses that very issue. The Bible gives us some principles that if we put into practice when we parent, they have the potential to change the way that we approach raising our kids. By the way, I'm going to say we and are a lot during this message because that's habit. Remember, I don't have kids, so I'm not trying to step on your toes. I just want you to know that's where that's coming from, okay? Let me read you this passage of scripture. It's from Deuteronomy chapter number six, and I'm going to set the stage before we dive into the verses this morning. This happens way back in the beginning of the Bible, way back at the start of the Old Testament. We're talking like 3,000-something years ago, maybe even a little older than that. And the Israelite nation, this, this race, this group of people have been enslaved in Egypt for many, many years. If you've ever seen the movie The Prince of Egypt or if you saw Exodus recently, it's that story where this group of people is enslaved and God raises up a man named Moses to lead them out into freedom. And so if you're curious, you want to hear more about the story, go back and read the book of Exodus. But what the Bible tells us is that as the Israelites are freed from captivity... They head out into their future. 
And they're trying to figure out what does it mean to be our own nation, to be our own people? What does it mean to raise kids and to have jobs and to live in this newfound freedom? The Bible tells us that for 40 years, they became a nomadic tribe. They wandered around trying to find a place to settle. And after 40 years, God leads them to what's called the promised land, what we call today Israel. He leads them right up to the edge and he says to Moses, okay, Moses, you're at the end of your life. You're not actually going to transition. You're not going to move into the promised land with your spiritual children, with your family, with the nation that you are leading. And so I want you to prepare them and then send them, okay? That is the plan and process that God gives to Moses. I want you to prepare them, and then I want you to send them. And so Moses gathers up everybody. We're talking like a million people. There are a bunch of people around. And Moses begins to teach them, and he recaps the story. You know, guys, remember who we were? We were slaves in Egypt, and God has set us free. And now he's brought us into the promised land. And he says, I want to give you some instructions on how to develop the family, the society, the marriages that you've always hoped. And what's really fascinating is that Moses doesn't give the onus uh, for, for the future. He doesn't give it to the government. He doesn't say, okay, government, your job is to rule justly and well, and society is going to rise and fall based on you and how well you govern these people. He doesn't do that. And he doesn't say, okay, um, business owners, your job is to create a great economy and lead people in. And, you know, the society is going to rise and fall on business. He doesn't do that. He doesn't look at the priests and the religious leaders and say to them, okay, guys, your job is to make sure that society thrives and survives. It's all on your shoulders. He doesn't say that. Instead, he talks to the parents. He talks to the moms and the dads and the grandmas and the grandpas. And he says, okay, if our society is going to make it, it's going to make it because you guys love and teach your families well. And so in the middle of this big grand story, this epic moment where they are about to step into the future, he says, let me tell you how to do that well. Let me tell you how to care for your kids the way you should. Let me tell you how to love one another in your home the way that you ought to. And so he gives them these words. And I want you to not hear these as words to some ancient society thousands of years ago on the other side of the planet. I want you to hear them as words to me and to you today. So we'll start reading here in Deuteronomy chapter number six, verses four through nine. We're actually just gonna take these, uh, this passage just a couple of verses at a time. Moses starts off and he says, "'Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God.'" the Lord alone. Hey, Moses starts by reminding every single person that hears these words, there's only one God and you aren't him. Hey, parents, you need to know that. There is only one God and you are not him. Now, this is important for you as parents because all the parents I know carry around an insane amount of weight and stress and fear because they believe that the future of their children is entirely dependent on how well they do when their kids are from the ages of birth until about 18 right? Like they worry, oh man, I don't know if I let them watch YouTube videos instead of baby Einstein videos, they're going to grow up and have like 60 cats. It's just not going to go well. And it's going to be because of the choices that I'm making today. 
Whew. I, I, parents, they, they, I don't know, you guys seem to believe, you know, if, if I let them like listen to, I don't know, country music instead of Mozart when they're a little baby, it's going to affect them somehow drastically in the future. And, and they're not going to have like the, the, the life that I want them to have. What an incredible burden to walk around with every day, to believe that you and you alone are solely responsible for the development and the future of your child. Can I tell you, Moses starts by talking to parents, reminding them that you are not God. You are not fully and completely in control of your child's life. Now, what you do as a parent, it does matter. The way you parent, what you try to instill in your kids, of course that matters. But a bad way to approach parenting is to say, it's all riding on my shoulders. And if I don't get it just right, then my kids won't have the future in life that they should have. It is a bad idea to carry that weight around every day. You weren't designed for that because you are not sovereign. You are not fully and completely in control. You cannot wrap your arms around every aspect of your child's life. You cannot ensure that they are always safe. Can't be done. You cannot ensure that they always make right decisions. You cannot parent them into the perfect future. Because there's only one God. There's only one who's sovereign. There's only one who's worth trusting your children to. And it's not you. And it's not your spouse. You know, even if you did everything right as a parent, and I have known some great parents in my years in ministry. I mean, parents who loved and served their kids with everything they had. They did it as well as any other parent I've ever seen. And in their teenage years, in their early college years, their kids made some terrible decisions that compromised their future. And the parents were like, it's my fault. Somehow along the way, I messed up. And I had to step in and remind these folks, no, 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 no. Your kids have free will. They have choices. God has given them the ability to make their own choices. You've got to recognize that they have the ability to make their own choices as well. If your kids grow up and you do the very best you can and they still make decisions that you wish they wouldn't make, guess what? That doesn't prove you're a bad parent. It proves you're not sovereign. It proves that you are not God that you are not fully and completely in control of the kids that are in your life. As a parent, the best way that you can look at your kids is not to say, these are mine, they're my responsibility fully and completely, but to look at your kids and say, these are God's. He's given them to me to care for and to raise to the best of my ability, but don't ever let yourself believe the lie that you are solely responsible for their future, good or bad. It's simply not true. There is only one God, and you are not him. If you're not careful, you will position yourself as a God substitute for your kids. You will present yourself as having all the answers, being always able to provide. You're the one that makes sure their life is always on track and going the right way. And that's not your job, that's God's job. And you'll have kids that grow up and they're not able to trust God who is sovereign and trustworthy because mom and dad have never learned to lean into God and let God do what only God can do in their lives. Look, the more you acknowledge this, that your children are not your children. The more you acknowledge that, the better off you will be in parenting. 
the more able you will be to parent from a place of freedom and love than instead of fear and anxiety. There's only one God, and you're not him. Remind yourself of that every single day. This is helpful, this this reminder from Moses, the, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone is our God. It's helpful for another reason, because it reminds us that we are never alone. You might feel alone at times during your family journey in parenting your kids. Your specific situation might make you feel more alone than uh, an average family. But I want you to know that's a lie. And you need to confront it head on every time it shows up in your mind. You are never alone. There is always a God who is with you and on your side. You might never acknowledge him in your situation, and yet he is present. He's present in your highs. He's present in your lows. He's there in your parenting victories when you're like, somebody give me a trophy. I deserve it after that one. And he's there when you fail. And every other mom in the store is looking at you like, are you serious, lady? God is with you in every single one of those moments. You are never alone. Single mom, hear me. You are not alone. You're not doing this on your own. You have a sovereign, loving, heavenly father who's there beside you. Families who live on the other side of the the country from your family, from grandma and grandpa and cousins and aunts and uncles, guess what? You're not alone. You're not doing this by yourself way out here in the West. You have a God who is there beside you in the midst of your heartache and your difficulty. If your children have unique needs and you feel like the average parent doesn't understand what you go through, you're probably right, but you're not alone. There is a God who's with you in the middle of all of it. Moses starts not with parenting strategies, not with co-parenting plans. He doesn't start with that. He starts with God. And and the best piece of advice, the one thing, if I could get you to do any one thing as a parent, it would be that, to start with a surrender to God and to say, okay, God, I know I'm not going to be perfect, but you're perfect. So I'm not going to become a God substitute for my children. I'm going to point them to you. And when I feel alone, when I feel inadequate, when I feel like I don't have the answers and the dumb pastor gets up on stage and he's talking about things he has no experience with, I'm not going to trust in anyone but you, Jesus. Because there is one God, and none of us are him. Moses goes on. After he says, love the Lord your God, uh, or rather, I'm sorry, he says, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. He says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. You must commit yourself wholeheartedly to the commands that I'm giving you today. He says, listen, obeying is important, but relationship is more important. There's a principle here, and as a parent, I think you need to know it. Relationship is more important than rules. Relationship is more important than rules. It is more important that your kids grow up trusting you and having a deep relationship with you than obeying every rule perfectly. That's the most important thing. So much so that a, a, a pastor that I respect very, very much has said his one goal in parenting, his one goal, is that when his kids grow up, he wants them to still want to be around their family when they don't have to be anymore. That's the one thing he's after. Because if he can get that, then everything else will fall in line. 
Moses says, I want you to love God, sure. I want you to obey God, sure. But I want you to do it out of passion. I want you to do it out of relationship. It's almost like the obedience flows out of the love, out of the relationship. Because it's entirely possible to have somebody follow the rules and not have any sort of relationship. Your kids can obey you every single day, and yet if you are not developing a love and trust relationship with them, it is going to surface later in their life. Conversely, I've known some families that are real lax with the rules, like too lax, you guys, and yet they were committed to developing a trust and love relationship amongst their family, and their kids turned out pretty doggone well because relationships matter more than rules. I know it's tough in the day-to-day and your kids are disobedient and they're running reckless wild. I understand all of that. But you wanna be really, really careful that you never communicate to your children that following the rules is more important than their relationship with you. That means you might have to let some behavior slide. You might want to correct every little thing your kid does, and maybe they should have some correction, you know. But if you try to only correct and you never love, if you try only to to say, okay, here's the line, don't ever step over it, and that's all you give your kids while they're growing up, then I'm telling you, they are going to grow up. They're not going to be happy. They're not going to be healthy or well-adjusted when they start their own families because you've communicated that rules are more important than relationship, and that's simply not true. Your kids will feel like you've set an unreasonable standard that they will never measure up to. Do you know this is why the book of Ephesians says in chapter number six, fathers, don't provoke your children to exasperation or anger. Don't do it. You can, you, dads especially, I don't know, we just have like this, this tendency to say, all right, I need my kid to perform, to comply, to follow the rules, to obey, and we don't communicate love as much as we ought to. And so what happens is our kids believe that following the rules is what we want. And we get a, a shallow relationship that's based on performance and nothing else. When we let relationship be the priority over rules in our home, we're actually following the example that God sets with each one of us. If God were more concerned with the rules than with relationship, I'd be in trouble. So would you. Because I'm not particularly good at following the rules. I wasn't as a kid, and I haven't gotten any better as an adult. And if God required me to follow the rules perfectly, then I would be in a mess. But he doesn't. He prioritizes relationship, even if that means that we have to give grace and forgiveness and mercy over and over and over and over again, because the relationship is more important than the rules. Put that into practice in your family, and it will make a difference in how your kids turn out long term. I'll also encourage you from this passage, Moses says, you know, you need to obey, sure, but you need to do it wholeheartedly. He uses that word. And he says, you need to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because this is not like uh, an obedience thing, and this is not a belief thing. This is a heart thing. And as a parent, you need to always continually fight for your child's heart. Not for their obedience, not for their compliance, not for their straight A's. Those things are all important. I'm not saying give up on them, but don't make them the priority. Make your child's heart the priority, the relationship that you have with them. This is especially true when it comes to discipline. Man, I've seen this over and over and over again. Parents discipline and they don't connect it back to the heart or to the relationship. 
Do you know what sort of punishments never work, especially with older kids and teenagers? Do you know what kind of punishments never work? The generic kind. Like, oh, you talked back? Guess what? You're grounded. Every time. Like, it doesn't matter if they talk back, if they came in late, if they took something that didn't belong, if they got a bad grade on their report card. No matter what it is, punishment's always the same. You're going to your room. I'm taking your cell phone. The only variable in the punishment is how long you have to stay there. That sort of punishment doesn't really work because we don't actually feel bad when we break the rules. You and I, we, let's be honest, we do not feel bad when we break the rules. When you're speeding down the highway, you don't feel bad about it. If you do something that's small, you know, slightly against the rules, you don't feel bad about it. You feel bad when you break a relationship. You don't feel bad when you break the rules. You feel bad when you break a relationship. And ultimately, every time your kid violates a rule that you've set, the important thing that they learn is not that they've broken a rule, but that they've broken or potentially broken a relationship. You see, when you give your kids a chore to do and they choose not to do it, the problem is not that they were disobedient and didn't follow your instruction. The problem is they've misunderstood their place in the family and the relationship that you two have with one another. It's about relationship, not about the rules. It's about the heart, not about the obedience. And I think the way that you discipline your kids should always point back to the relationship that's in jeopardy because of their behavior. It should always tie back to the offense. It shouldn't be generic and, you know, I'm just so mad at you, I can't even look at your face, go to your room. That's not helpful. Punishments should not be, uh, discipline rather, should not be punitive. It should be restorative. It should be about welcoming kids back in. Think about it like this. When your kid was a toddler, what happens? They, um, maybe they get a swat. If that's your parenting style, I'm not saying that's wrong or right. I'm just saying maybe that's how you do it. Or they go to timeout or whatever the case may be, right? What happens with little kids every time? At the end of every discipline session, there's a hug fest that happens, isn't there? They come and they jump in your lap and they hug you and they say they're sorry. And you say, I'm sorry, I had to discipline you, but you need to learn to listen, those sorts of things. That stops about middle school. <laughs> You know, your, your eighth grader, ninth grader, 12th grader, they don't come sit in your lap anymore after you punish them, after you've taken their car keys. They don't come sit in your lap and say, I'm sorry, mom, let's have a hug fest. And you need to fight to continue to make that happen. It doesn't have to be a hug fest anymore, but you need to restore the relationship and help them connect the rule violation to the relationship breaking. So uh, I'll give you a couple of very quick examples. I have a, a pastor friend, and one of his daughter's chores is to drag the garbage cans out to the curb on her way to school each day when, they, uh, ha when the garbage truck comes by. And when she forgets, he doesn't punish her. He doesn't send her to her room um, by grounding her. Instead, he says, okay, because you didn't take the garbage out the way you were supposed to, your punishment is you got to get the hose now, and you got to spray out and clean out the garbage can until it's it's sparkling clean. Well, no kid, I mean, I don't want to do that at my own house. No kid wants to get into the garbage can and start cleaning that sucker out. And so when he does that, he's tying the punishment to the offense. And then while his daughter's out there cleaning, he'll actually go out and talk with her. And he'll say, ah, oh, sweetie, I'm so sorry you have to do this. I don't want you to do this. This is not a good thing for my daughter to be doing. And in fact, I'll tell you what, you will never have to do this again if you'll just remember to take the trash cans out in the future. And in fact, if you'll remember to take the trash cans out, I'll never ask you to clean it again. We'll have your brother do this from now on. But he says to her, 
When you forget to take out the garbage cans, that makes it hard on everybody else because we don't have any room to put the garbage in. So he's tying the punishment to the offense and he's talking about the relationship impact of them breaking the rules. Do that consistently over time and your kids will come to understand it's not about whether or not they're obedient, it's about whether or not they are deepening a relationship with the family around them. Fight for the heart of your kids. Fight for the heart of of your kids, not just their obedience, not just their grades. Fight for the heart and the relationship of your children every single day. One of the best quotes I've ever heard about parenting, one of the best quotes, it's stuck with me, I'm not even a parent and it sticks with me, is that when it comes to parenting, the days are long, but the years are short. I'm gonna say that again. Some of you need to write it down and tweet it. The days are long, but the years are short. And if you're not careful, you'll get so caught up in the obedience of the long day that you miss out on the heart of the long years. And you'll get compliance today and you'll get absent kids in the future. Fight for your kids' hearts. Moses wraps up this passage here. And he says to the, to the people of Israel, remember, he's talking to families and how they're going to move forward, how they're going to be the ones who lead their society into the future. And he says, I want you to repeat these teachings to your kids again and again. He says, talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. He says, tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. He's being a little dramatic there, but that's okay. He says, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Listen, most parents think, whether it comes to like instilling character in their kids or it's discipline or it's some habit or especially in the arena of faith, they think, okay, if I just talk about this every once in a while with my kid, it'll become an ingrained habit. Guess what? That is not how it works. You bring your kid to church, you know, like two or three Sundays a month throughout the year, at best, they're gonna get 40 hours in kids ministry. You get 3,000 hours a year with your kids. So you tell me who's going to have a bigger influence. Is it teachers? Nope. Is it uh, classmates? Nope. Is it pastors, youth pastors, kids workers? Nope. You have the greatest amount of influence on your kids out of anybody. When you ask teenagers, who's the biggest influence in your life? They'll say mom and dad. They'll say, who frustrates you the most? Mom and dad as well. But they have the biggest influence out of everybody. You are the greatest influence on your kid's life. And so if you will be consistent in whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish in your kid's life, you will see dividends pay off. If that's discipline, if that's communication, if that's faith, whatever it is, if you will stay consistent, then you will see transformation. Let me give you one quick example. Like, let's say you're trying to instill a deeper faith in your kids. I'll just be honest with you. Having like a once a week family devotion around the table probably isn't going to do it. And I would say having a once a day family devotion where we sit down and we go through these verses and I ask six questions and the kids answer. And once I'm happy that they've answered satisfactorily, I'll let them go. If that's your approach, that's not it's not a bad thing, but I'm telling you, it's much more effective if over time and consistency, uh, consistently you look for teachable moments in your kids, in their lives, in the situations that they're going through, and you use those moments not to point them back to right behavior, but to point them to the God who loves them. 
So look, if your kid has an issue with a, a principal or a teacher at school, you know, don't run down to the school and fight their battle for them. Because when they go to college or when they get a job, you're not going to be able to go knock on their boss's door and say, I think you're being unfair. Instead, say, what did Jesus teach us about responding to unfair authority? If you can do that, if you can weave faith or you can weave character or you can weave discipline and habit in and out throughout the day, if you can do that consistently over time, you will see a much bigger payoff. I'm telling you, in the teenagers that I worked with, the families who did it in little ways but consistently were much better off than families who tried one big thing a year and hoped that that was going to be enough. Moses says, when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you go to bed, when you wake up, talk to your kids about the things that matter most. Now, let me give you one thought here. Cause you're like, yeah, I get that. That's obvious, Dan. Easy. I've been doing that for years. I know. Here's where most parents drop the ball though. They drop the ball because they make this an interview instead of a conversation. If you want to talk to your kids about faith, like today, you're going to get in the car and you're going to roll out to wherever it's going for your Mother's Day celebration, and you'll ask your kids, what did you learn today in church? And they'll give you some answers. That's a good thing. But if you stop there, then you're, it's incomplete. You haven't gone far enough. In age-appropriate ways, you need to have conversations with your kids where you say, oh, that's wonderful, sweetie. Guess what mommy learned today? How to be a better mom or how to love you, or how to, you know, forgive dad. I probably shouldn't say that to your kids. But anyway, <laughs> it needs to be a conversation. One of the best things you can do is to be honest about your questions, your anxieties, your fears in age-appropriate ways. If you only talk to your kids about their character, about their faith, about their friends, then they're going to miss out on the value of hearing about your story over time. Make it a conversation and not an interview. Last slide. It might be helpful, I'm gonna give you one practical thing as best I can. It might be helpful to think about parenting in stages. I didn't invent this. Uh, there are some parents I know and trust who said this is the framework that they use and it's paid off for them quite a bit. In the early years, your job as a parent is to instill discipline in your kids, right? Uh, a kid that's one year old five to five years old, they don't understand the whys of the rules that you give them. And so they're learning that actions have consequences. If you touch something hot, you get burned, but they don't really understand why that is. Their brain is not totally capable of understanding it. So if you have kids that are in the one to five range, your job is to safeguard while loving. That's what you're focused on. You're not focused on being their friend. You're not focused on being their coach. You're not focused primarily on training, although all of those things might happen. Your job is to safeguard them while you love them. When they move into the elementary years, then that becomes training time. You're explaining to your kids why we do the things that we do as a family. You give them the why behind the what of the rule. Do that consistently. As they move into their teen years, guess what? You're not their trainer anymore. They're not going to let you be their trainer. Instead, you're the coach. You're on the sidelines watching them do life. And there may be times where you have to reach in and yank them off the field. I get that. But your job is primarily to coach them and watch as they try to live it out on their own. Let them fail during those years, you guys. Let them fail. If you rescue your kids in middle school and high school from every potential danger they face, when they get to college, they are going to have so much trouble because you're not going to be there to bail them out. 
And then there are the friendship years. And that's where we're all trying to get, right? 18 plus, where the kids are gone and out of the house, but they come back regularly. You get to celebrate and you don't have the responsibility that you used to have. During that time, you're enjoying while you're guiding and partnering with them for the future. Now, listen, if you don't discipline and train during the early years, the coaching years are going to be a wreck. If you're not consistent in discipline and training early on, then the coaching years are going to be really, really difficult. That's where I see teenagers getting into lots of trouble and causing lots of heartache because there wasn't sufficient discipline or training. Like dad was kind of absent during that time. And then during the coaching years when he should be cheering on, when he should be guiding and releasing kids, instead he's trying to go back to the discipline and the training. And if you can instill that in your kids while they're young, you'll have a much easier time as they get older. So maybe thinking through those stages, if you've got kids that are at different ages, so you've got a kid that's in the the training years and one that's in the coaching years, don't approach your conversations and the way you parent them in the same way. Parent them in a way that fits with the stage of life that they are in. So we'll end with those three thoughts, okay? There's only one God, you're not him. So submit to him in your parenting. Not only that, but remember in all things that relationships matter than rules in your household. That's what you're gonna fight for. Not obedience, but love and trust. And then do it consistently over time. You're not going to fix all the issues that your kiddos have, that your marriage has. You're not going to fix it overnight. But if you'll do a little bit long-term, you will see transformation happen.